is so good to see you today as we conclude the Kingdom Come series that we've been in for the last month. For the last month or so, for those of you who maybe are joining us for the first time, you should know we've been in a series simply titled Kingdom Come, which of course is a phrase that comes from the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus got together with his disciples one day, they said, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Because when we hear you pray, we feel like maybe we don't do it quite like that. And so Jesus gives them, and or he gave them, and he gives us this model prayer, this sort of like template, if you will, that we can follow that Jesus kind of breaks down some different subjects and highlights some things that he's, he would encourage us to be praying for. And this is recorded by two of the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke. We've been living in the Lord's Prayer from Matthew's version, um, but we really haven't even gotten to much of the Lord's Prayer. We could do a whole series on the entire Lord's Prayer, and it would be a fantastic series, but we've just like been living in the opening verse. And so this is the extent of where we've been going with the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and there's, that's where we get it from, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this, this idea that Jesus was talking about was the idea of the kingdom of heaven being realized and experienced here in this lifetime, in this world, by people who are alive today, like it would be in the kingdom of heaven, in, in heaven itself. And so he's like, you should work for this. You should pray for the kingdom of God to be realized in this lifetime for more people. Not only that, not only do you, are you invited to pray for it, but you are invited to live in the kingdom of heaven. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, maybe you're brand new to church, you should know the offer and the invitation on the table in front of you is the invitation to live in the kingdom of heaven here on earth, in this lifetime. This is not the type of thing that's supposed to only kick in after you pass away and enter into the next life. Jesus was like, no, you can live in the kingdom of heaven in a special way here and now, and that's what I've come to bring. That's what I've come to do, and that's what I want to invite you into. And then from there, as we experience it ourselves, we're invited to help bring the kingdom of heaven into the lives of more people. We're invited to help bring more people into the kingdom of heaven. And so here at Heartland, we have kind of talked about over the last few weeks, our vision, our mission, our core values, and our vision for what this church would look like is this. It would be every single one of us doing something to advance God's kingdom or to advance the coming of the kingdom of heaven to our community. We don't want this to be the type of thing where most of us just come and sit on, on a chair on Sunday morning, but then like 10% or 20% of the church like actually does some other things. We want this to be something that we all do. We are all invited to play a role in helping bring the kingdom of heaven to our community. We also have five core values, and each week we've been unpacking one of these, but over the last four weeks we've talked about the four core values that we are in this together, like we have each other's back, and we take that really seriously around here. If you're new, you should know we take really seriously supporting one another and doing life together. Uh, we would say we're all about the one because God is all about the one. That means that there is nobody who has gone too far or been away too long or lived such a bad life that God doesn't care about them anymore. God loves every single person and so do we, every single one. We would say we're here to serve because Jesus said, hey, even I, the son of man, didn't come to be served but to serve. And so we wanna be like Jesus and we wanna put the serving towel over our arm and we wanna be people who serve 
And then finally, we want to be good for this town. We want to be the type of church where people who don't come here would think to themselves, I'm not a part of that church family, but I'm so glad they're here because they are good for my town. Today, as we bring the series to a close, we want to talk about our fifth and final core value, which is simply that we are crazy generous. That we are crazy generous. Now, as we get into this, uh, talking about money this morning, let me just simply say, for those of you who have come to Heartland for a long time, you know me, you've gotten to know me, you've gotten to see my heart over the years, like, you, you feel good right now. Like, you know John's going to handle this, this subject that can sometimes be awkward really well, it's going to be fine, and you're okay. But if you're new to church, and especially if you're, like, first-timer, you're probably thinking, Oh my gosh, of course he's talking about money, right? Because you think that pastors only talk about money, and I get that, and I I hear you out, and all I'm going to say, I'm not even going to ask you to trust me, because you don't know me, you can't trust me. I would just say, just suspend your disbelief or your annoyance for a moment. Just hear me out, and as you leave today, make all the judgments about me that you want to make, okay? Like, full game in 32 minutes, okay? All right, so let me just simply say why this matters. This matters because money plays a disproportionate role in our lives. Money has a disproportionate impact in all of our lives. Like money is a, is a big driver when it comes to the, our level of peace and our level of happiness. It's a big driver in our relationships. It's one of the leading causes of divorce in American marriages because it's such a big deal and because it plays such a, a disproportionate role. Well, God knew that, and God wants us to experience life in the kingdom of heaven, even when it comes to our finances. So in the scriptures, God gives us over 2,000 verses on money, probably more than any other subject in the Bible. God wants to let us know what he thinks about money. And the reason is not because God wants anything from us when it comes to our money. It's because he wants something for us. And precisely what he wants is for us to experience life in the kingdom of heaven when it comes to our money. And so he's like, I'm going to give them all the instructions that they need on this highly sensitive subject so that they can get it right and they can live in the kingdom of heaven. Now this morning, I thought I would take a little bit of a different approach. And I thought about this subject and I thought, where do we share common ground? Like, what do we all have in common? And this was pretty easy for me. Immediately, I was like, well, I think at the end of the day, What we all want is the same thing when it comes to our finances, right? What we all want is we want the financial component of our life to be a source of joy and a source of freedom, and we want to experience a a sense of peace when it comes to our finances. I think that that's the assumption that I'm going to base this morning off of. I think that's probably a pretty fair assumption. Would you say, yeah, was that what you want? Do you want to experience peace and joy and freedom when it comes to your finances? Yeah. Okay, and then I guess the flip side of that would be that nobody, when it comes to their finances, want money to be a source of stress, anxiety, and fear, right? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants money to be this, like, massive burden, this, like, awkward third wheel in the relationship. Like, we don't want that. We want money to be a source of freedom and joy and peace in our life. And I would say that's what God wants for us as well. Now, not only does God want that for us, not only do we want that for us, but there's a whole industry in our country today 
that has popped up around helping people achieve that. Because that is the common denominator that we all share, there are so many bloggers and vloggers and authors and writers and financial advisors and investment bankers that all want to help us get this part of our life right. And so as a collective whole, they would generally propose three steps to a plan to experience joy and freedom when it comes to your finances. They would generally all agree that this is what you should do if you want to experience that. They would say that you should make as much money as you can, right? You you want as much of it coming in as possible, right? So make as much money as you can. They would say then step two is to live below your means, meaning you do not spend it all as it comes in, but you got to have some margin, got to have some leftover between what you bring in and what goes out. And then you take that margin and you save it and you invest it for the future. And as long as you do that, you're going to have enough for a rainy day. If you're investing it in the right places, you know, and if you leave it long enough, the beauty of compounding interest will take effect. And if the markets do what the markets have done historically in the United States for the last hundred years, then by the time you get to retirement age, you're going to have a big pile of money and you're going to be good and you'll get to experience joy, freedom, and peace in your money, right? Now, that's not a bad plan right? Like, like, don't hear me wrong. There is nothing wrong with this plan. Some of you are like, I talked to my financial advisor last week, and that's exactly what they told me, right? Yeah, that's a good plan. I would say, as a pastor who has spent my life reading what God has to say about it, I would say that God, God affirms a lot in that plan, but I would say that plan just simply falls one step short. And as you look specifically at what Jesus said to do with our money, if you want to experience all that God has for us when it comes to our money, you can't skip the component Jesus talked about the most, which was simply this, that you give generously. You give generously. Jesus frequently called his followers to do the countercultural thing. Even though we have the same goal when it comes to money as everybody else, he said, I want you to live counterculturally and I want you to do some things that are countercultural to get to the goal that everybody wants to experience joy, freedom, and peace with your money. I want you to give it away. Then maybe one of the best places to read about this, the Apostle Paul was talking to a group of Christians that he had. Um, was encouraging them to give generously. He was encouraging them to give sacrificially. And he pointed back to what Jesus said in such a simple way in Acts chapter 20. He says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, here it is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, You can leave this up for just a moment. The word blessed there is key because uh, that makes this statement from Jesus what we call a beatitude. The beatitudes are a series of things that Jesus said throughout the gospels about who God blesses. And so even in the Sermon on the Mount, we get an entire section that we commonly refer to as the Beatitudes. It's a bunch of people who God said, this is who God's gonna bless. God's gonna bless you know, the, the poor in spirit. He said, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst, thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek, right? These are bl- blessed people, Beatitudes. Well, this, it is more blessed to give than to receive is commonly referred to as the least believed beatitude in the Bible. (laughs) This one's the least believed. 
And I think it makes sense why that's true. It's the least believed because it seems counterintuitive to the, to the goal, to the plan, to the system, to the steps. It feels like if the goal is to find freedom and joy in our finances, giving it away feels like it will, it, it will, it will run counter to the goal. But what Jesus taught over and over and over again is that it doesn't run counter to the goal. It is the key that unlocks the, re- the, realizing, the realizing of that joy, peace, and freedom. And so, because there are so many amazing passages in Scripture, because Jesus said so many amazing things about how to experience life in the kingdom of heaven when it comes to our money, I wrote a teaching this week that was simply titled, The Top 10 Reasons to Be Crazy Generous. And I'll tell you, I was really excited about it. And I thought, man, these top 10 reasons are so good. And I was telling my wife about the teaching last night. We were sitting down at the couch. It was a long day with Trunk or Tree. And um, I was sitting there, and I kind of unpacked for her what I was going to say this morning. And she looked at me, and she paused, which I knew was not good. And I said, what? And she said, it sounds really long to me. And I was like, Oh, come on, why do I do, why do I talk to you about this stuff? Um, so because I want to be responsible, Pastor, because I, you know, I put some work into this, I at, literally, I, at 9.30 at night, I got in my car and I drove over here and I stood right here and I gave the sermon to an empty room just so that I could time it and see how long it actually lasted. And what I discovered was she was right. It was really, really long. And so this morning, I'm going to present to you the top five reasons to be crazy generous. Number one, top five reasons to be crazy generous. Somebody made a joke that if I keep going by this third service today, it'll be the top two reasons to be crazy generous. Number one, top reason to be crazy generous, money is a terrible place to put your trust a terrible place to put your trust. These are not in order, so they don't build that way. It's not the number one reason to to be crazy generous. But one of the top five reasons is because money is a terrible place to put your trust. Um, If you think about it, there's really only three things that we can do with money. We can either spend it, we can save it, which allows us to spend it later, or we can give it. There's only three things we can do with money. We either spend it, we save it, or we give it away. All of us are predisposed to be one of those three things, to, to, to lean towards one of those three things. You don't have to tell anybody. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but it would be worth considering this morning just for yourself. What are you most likely predisposed towards? Are you by nature a spender? Are you by nature a saver? Are you by nature a giver? Right? Some of you have the gift of giving, and, and that comes most naturally for you, or, that, or you really lean into that. But which one are you? Are you a saver, spender, giver? Well, for many of us, especially the people who tend to be savers, one of the reasons that we lean that way is because we feel like like a, a nest egg or a savings account or a stockpile of money somewhere is a source of security. And so we put our trust for the future in our stuff. Well, God knows that. So God, through the Apostle Paul, inspired Paul to write a letter that kind of speaks into that temptation for us. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, and I should stop there and just point out that, that, you know, most of us are doing okay. We might look around our country and go, man, I'm not rich. Like, that guy's rich. That family's rich. But 
Globally, it does not take very much of an income to be like in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people, right? The vast majority of us are doing okay, and this verse would apply to us. So he said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so, say it out loud with me, uncertain, yeah, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God gives it to us because he wants us to experience life in the kingdom of heaven when it comes to our money. Like this is not separated from life in the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to experience the kingdom of heaven living when it comes to our wealth. But he says you can't allow yourself to put your hope in your money because the truth is money is a terrible place to anchor your hope. Money is here today and gone tomorrow. Money is a terrible place to anchor your hope because markets go down just like they go up, because inflation is real, and because the buying power of a dollar tomorrow is not as strong as the buying power of a dollar today. You guys know this. None of this is new for you. It's just simply a reminder that money is fleeting. And it's a terrible place to anchor your hope because what we know from scientific studies is that the more that your income goes up, it does not naturally increase your level of happiness in this life. In fact, what we know is once your income gets much above the median income in America, your level of happiness almost does not go up at all. Because the more money you have, the more things that you buy, and the more things that you buy, the more stuff you have to maintain and ensure and keep track of and worry about. I believe it was the theologian, Notorious B.I.G., who said, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> it's true. So, instead of putting our hope in our finances, I heard probably 15 or 16 years ago now, I was trying to do the math, a pastor give a simple phrase that registers so deep inside of me. I have used it myself anytime I feel like money starting to rise up and like grip my heart. And I want to share it with you because I think it's so helpful. It is simply, I will not trust in my riches, but in him who richly provides. And I want you to, like, I want this to, to, to sink in for you. So will you read this out loud with me? I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. That's so good. One more time. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Yeah, God's going, listen, I want you to experience life in the kingdom of heaven when it comes to your money. So do not put your trust in your riches. Put your trust in me because I am sovereign over everything and I'm the one who provides for you. So anchor your hope to me. Second, Reason to be crazy generous? Giving stores up treasure in heaven for tomorrow. This, of course, comes from Jesus. Matthew 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. What an incredible concept to think we can, in some way, store up treasure for ourselves in heaven when we cross into the afterlife. I heard somebody say one time, you can't take it with you when you go, but you can send it on ahead. 
I think that's a great way to summarize what Jesus was teaching here. He said, I want to encourage you to handle money in a way that you store up treasure in heaven for yourself later on. I, whenever I talk about this passage, those of you who have been around for years know that I love to kind of make fun of the storage unit industry, right? Um, in America, the storage unit industry is a $38 billion a year industry. That's how much stuff Americans store in their storage units. One in 11 Americans has a storage unit. Um, I, first of all, don't get me wrong. I think there are good reasons for storage units. I get it. Like there, I think there are perfectly appropriate times to have a storage unit. Maybe you're moving. You're in between homes. Maybe you're renting a place while you're building a place. Like I get it. You got to have a storage unit. Maybe you have a vacation spot and you keep your stuff for vacation there. Like all this makes sense. You've been deployed, and while you're being deployed, you're like, I don't need my house or an apartment. I'm just going to put my stuff in a storage unit. So there are great uses of a storage unit, but for the most part. We as a country are, of Americans are living in the biggest houses the world has ever known, and yet we've filled them with so much treasure, we don't have enough room for it all, and so we rent a storage unit to keep it there. So we're like, I have so much treasure, it's overflowing out of the biggest homes the world has ever seen, and I need a second smaller home that somebody else maintains where I can just keep some more of my treasure, right? Right? And I just have to think, like, is that the best use of our, of our money? Or like, could some of that stuff that we have stored in that little mini rental house where we keep our treasure, could it be better used for the advancement of the kingdom? What if we gave it away? What if we sold it and we used the money to fund the work of God in our world? Jesus said, don't store up treasure here on earth. Store up treasure for yourself in heaven. Now, maybe some of you, because... I try to think, okay, well, what are people going to say as an objection to this? Maybe you're going, okay, so, so John, the pastor is saying, and the Bible is saying, Jesus said, like, if I give money away, if I live a life of generosity, then that will benefit me in the life to come. Like, trust us, and when you die, you'll get rewarded. Okay, yeah, I'm supposed to trust you. Well, because I saw that coming, the third top reason to be crazy generous is because giving provides incredible benefits today. It provides incredible benefits here and now. And I'm so excited about this one. I'll probably spend the most time on it because the research is overwhelming. But before we get to the secular research, let me start with Jesus. Jesus in, in Matthew 6 simply says this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm going to unpack this. I want to talk about how this, how this has implications for us today in our life today. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Most of the time we think about this verse in reverse. We think about that our treasure, meaning our money, will follow our heart. Like we love boating, so our money follows that and we buy a boat, right? It does work that way. But what Jesus taught is that it actually works in the opposite as well. Your heart follows where you put your money. The best illustration I could think of this um, that kind of shows how true it is that our heart follows our treasure is uh, colleges. And so uh, if you know me, you know I was born and raised in Ohio. If you know anything about Ohio, you should know that I came out of the womb hating the University of Michigan. Um, I just, right, I just don't know what it is, but my whole life, like it was like just drilled into me, like they're bad, we're good, like God loves Ohio and he hates Michigan, right? 
that's not true, but that's just kind of my natural way of thinking. Um, actually, it is true. Like, my, my love for Wisconsin, I think, what is, what is Michigan doing with the UP? Like, I think that should be part of our state. I think Wisconsin should have the UP, okay? Um, but I don't love the University of Michigan. But I'll tell you what, my three kids are my treasure. I've got a 16, 14, 12-year-old, and we're in that stage where we're starting to think about what's next. And my three kids really are, are my heart. They're my treasure. If any of my kids came to me and said, Dad, 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 I got my acceptance letter into college. Look, in the fall, I'm going to be enrolled at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. If they said that to me, a little part of my heart would die. But the majority of it, when I drop my baby girl off at school at the University of Michigan, as I drive away from that college campus, I would recognize my treasure is now at the University of Michigan. And because my treasure is there, my heart will be there too. And if my daughter chose to go to the University of Michigan, I can promise you, I will be praying for God's blessing on that college. I'll be praying, God, protect that college. God, God put a hedge of protection around that university campus because my treasure is there, my heart will follow it, and it will be there as well. And what this means for us in our lives today, in our, in our hearts as it relates to finances, is that when our treasure all goes to buy things for ourselves, when it goes to upgrades and experiences, when we spend all of our money on ourselves, our treasure goes towards stuff. And because our money is going towards stuff, our heart goes towards stuff, and our heart gets wrapped up and wrapped around stuff. And the longer that happens, the more our heart becomes tied to materialism and the tighter that grip gets on our heart and the more it pulls us away from peace and joy and freedom with our finances and the more it pulls us back into anxiety and fear and worry. And so we have to understand what God wants us to do, what he's calling us to do with our finances is good for us here and now. And as I said, this is what scientific research is now proving, even secular research. As part of the preparation for this this week, I did a deep dive into several recent studies on, on money from secular organizations. And what I found was there is an incredible list of benefits in this lifetime for people who give generously. I, I, they, I narrowed it into seven categories, but I discovered that giving today generously improves mental health. It says generosity and acts of kindness have been linked to increased happiness and reduced symptoms of depression. Uh, giving generously reduces stress because it releases things like oxytocin, which is a hormone associated with bonding and stress reduction and happiness. Uh, number three, giving generously brings about enhanced physical health. Like some studies have indicated that being generous have physical health benefits, including uh, longevity. So they, there are even studies that have shown giving generously contributes to a longer life. It's believed that the positive social and emotional effects of generosity play a role in this. There's increased social connection because we give to something bigger than ourselves, and we feel like we're in it with other people. It brings about positive emotions and brain rewards. There are neuro neuroscience, scientific research has shown that the brain's reward centers are activated when individuals give money away. One of the most convincing things I read was from a, a recent report from the University of Notre Dame on the impact of tithing. 
So historically, the church has called followers of Jesus to give the first 10% of their income to fund the advancement of the gospel in their world. And so Christians historically have tried to do 10% or more and just said, God, I'm going to give you the first 10%. That's called a tithe because it's 10%. Well, this is what the University of Notre Dame discovered based on their research. They write, giving is good for your health, really good for your health. Intentional and consistent generosity is associated with the release of good chemicals in the body such as oxytocin, dopamine, and endorphins. Conversely, they discovered a lack of giving is bad for your health. People who do not give consistently have been found to carry with them higher levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which is linked to everything from headaches to strokes and depression. Additionally, a lack of giving worsens our ability to manage pain, body temperature regulation, blood pressure, and the control of fear in our hearts. They, they concluded the summary by saying, Americans who do not give away at least 10% of their income run a significant risk of being less happy than they would otherwise be. Whatever Americans lose by giving away 10% of their income, which let's just be honest for a second, you do lose something when you give generously. There is an opportunity cost. You could spend that money on more things for yourself. But they would say they discovered whatever Americans lose by giving away 10% of their income, it is offset by the greater likelihood of simply being happy with their life. Is it possible that the best kept secret to living in the kingdom of heaven is giving generously. Top five reasons to be crazy generous. Number four is that God funds the advancement of his kingdom through our giving. In both first and second Corinthians, I won't spend much time on this, but you can go read it yourself. Both first and second Corinthians are filled with the apostle Paul talking to the early churches that he founded about how every week when they gather together on the first day of the week, they should take an offering. They should receive an offering and everybody should pool their money together. And he said, when I come or when I send a messenger, we will receive those offerings and we will use it to plant other churches, and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We will take it back to fund the advancement of the gospel in Jerusalem. The apostles will put your money, your tithes, and your offerings to good use in advancing the kingdom of heaven. And so what we see is from day one, this has been God's plan for how he would fund the growth of his church around the world. He would do it through the generosity of his followers. And as somebody who lives in this world and who contributes as well, I will say, man, I wish that the ministry and the advancement of the gospel in our world today, I wish that it was funded with, with smiles and pats on the back and hugs and, and well wishes. But it's not. The simple reality is that it costs money to take the gospel to our community. It costs money to live out the gospel in the lives of people who are hurting and we as a group get to do that together every single weekend when we gather. We pool our resources together and we, we pray that God would take our offerings and that he would, he would bless it and he would multiply it and he would release it through the church in ways that only he can for the advancement of the kingdom of heaven in our community. And it is a beautiful thing. And the fifth and final reason to be crazy generous is simply because we have received so much. James, near the end of the New Testament, 
writes in chapter one, he says, every good and perfect gift, every good and perfect gift you have received is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. We have been given so much. And because we have been given so much, out of our gratitude and recognition of that, we give back to God a portion of what he has given to us. And we do it thinking this will be good for God and this will be good for others as we advance the kingdom in our community. But the secret is, is that God's going, thank you for that. I will honor that and I will bless you for that. And by adding giving generously to the steps that everybody's trying to follow so they discover peace and joy and happiness and freedom with their finances, he goes, when you give it away, I will help you experience the kingdom of heaven in ways that you cannot otherwise experience it. And so as we close this morning, I simply want to encourage you. I simply want to invite you to step further into the kingdom of heaven this week by giving generously by looking at where you're at and by going, you know what, I, I, I don't ever really give. I wanna invite you to try to do it and to see what God does as you honor him, as you take a step towards God, as you take a step into the kingdom of heaven. Maybe if you give sporadically, maybe it's time to become a consistent giver. Somebody who says, I'm gonna sign up for automatic giving. I just wanna be consistent with this. God, I wanna, I wanna experience the benefits of consistent giving that, that people have discovered. Maybe if you're a consistent giver, it's time to become a percentage giver. Where you go, man, I don't want to just give a dollar amount that sounds nice and round. I want to give the first percent, whatever that X percent is. You go, God, I'm giving you this first percent off the top because I want to honor you, because I've received so much from you, and because I want to experience more of life in the kingdom of heaven. And I promise you what you will experience will blow your mind. For Ashley and me, we got married 19 years ago. We decided when we got married that from day one, we were going to tithe at a minimum off of everything that God brought our way. And we have done that for 19 years now. And we have been so incredibly blessed. Like we've gotten so much more than the opportunity of what we have given up by giving that money away. And when we first got married, I was a first-year teacher, and she was in school full-time, so we were living on less than $30,000 a year. Imagine trying to support your wife and grow a family, and you're giving away at least 10% of your finances. But we said, we can do it, and we're going to do it. And we did do it, and God blessed us. And over the last 20 years, as our income has come up from that, we have experienced you can do this at every income level. Now, obviously, I don't know what that's like at the crazy high end of the income level that maybe some of you are at, but I have to believe if you can do it on the lower levels, you can do it on the higher levels. But what you see is God doing some amazing work inside of your heart and inside of your life. And you feel the grip of materialism start to loosen and you start to feel more freedom and you start to feel more security because you know my trust is not anchored to my money. It's anchored to the one who can provide me with all the money I'll ever need. And what you experience is, is life in the kingdom of heaven when it comes to your finances. And you go, man, I wouldn't want life in the kingdom of anything else when it comes to my finances after tasting life in the kingdom of heaven. And that's why I get excited to talk about this because I don't want anything from you. I want God's best for you. I want you to experience life in the kingdom of heaven. And in doing so, 
we might just get to see the kingdom of heaven expand in our community for even more people. How cool is that? I love that. And I think that's what God wants to do in you and through you and in us and through us. And as we do, we will get a front row seat to watch God bring his kingdom to our community. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for so many encouraging things said about money that you want for us. Lord, all of these clear directions on how to experience joy and freedom and, and peace when it comes to our financial lives. Lord, thank you for making it so clear. Lord, unfortunately, this is one of those things that is easier said than done. So Lord, would you help us to not just not just hear it, but would you help us to do it? Would you give us the faith in you and the courage to step towards you with our giving? And Lord, would you help us to be crazy generous? And through our collective generosity, Lord, would you, would you expand your kingdom into the lives of more people? Would your kingdom come? And would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everybody who agreed said, amen.